Hi everyone, and welcome to this episode of Bouncing Forward. Today we welcome Joanna, a 44-year-old executive producer, director, and talented artist who currently lives in Paris. Joanna is also a mom to a smart and beautiful five-year-old boy, a wife, daughter, sister, and she also happens to be a very dear friend of mine. She was there for me when I went through my own illness a few years ago. Uh, she called me every day during my treatments and her support was like a balm to my heart. Last year, unfortunately, the roles had reversed and she was the one facing the illness, which in her case was melanoma. Let's listen to her story. Thanks again for agreeing to um, share your story with our listeners. Um, sure. Why don't we begin by telling us a little bit about yourself? I am a 44, almost 45-year-old um, Franco-American living in Paris. My job is in advertising. Um, so I'm pretty much working in an office all the time. Nothing too stressful. Uh, except, you know, I mean, the, the usual the usual amount of stress. Uh, and I lived in New York most of my life, moved to Paris uh, five years ago um, and was uh, diagnosed a year ago, exactly. Actually, might be even today. Wow, okay. Mm. Um, and what was the diagnosis? I had uh, melanoma on my right ear. Um, it was a uh, Breslow-type melanoma and... Um, What was uh, surprising there was that uh, it took them two and a half years to find it because they had been biopsying it for over two and a half years and the biopsies always came back normal. And I kept, uh, kept coming back because of some very weird symptoms and they finally found it and were very apologetic and I became sort of a a school case uh, because it was it was a very very odd situation so I could start from the beginning if you'd like me to you can if you want to okay so um, essentially upon moving to Paris uh, maybe a year or uh, maybe two or three years after we moved I um, I began to feel a little bit of a bump on the back of my ear on the rim of my ear in the back the the part that's exposed to the sun uh and it looked like a swollen freckle that my husband noticed because i didn't actually notice it we did a biopsy of it and went to a dermatologist um who did a who did a biopsy of that and there was uh and the biopsy came back as a benign uh mole essentially nothing else but you know the norm and i had stitches after the biopsy three or four of them, they began to itch after they were removed and uh, transformed into five little tiny, tiny, tiny bumps that were transparent and they were very, very itchy. So eight or 10 months later, I came back to the same doctor, did another biopsy and I came back negative again. Um, then, uh, they, so they stitched me up again. And so he sent every time the, 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 the stuff he sent it to, to one lab. So they stitched me up again. And a year later, the little bumps appeared again, and they were incredibly itchy again. And I went to a different doctor who said, maybe it's a wart. 
and uh, she burnt she burnt it and went away. A few months later, it came back again, very itchy again. And uh, I persevered because I knew that the, in my heart, I had always known what it was. And maybe it's because I had always been, my skin had always been tested. I'm very freckly and I've, I've been going to the dermatologist every year since I was a kid, specifically to watch after this sort of thing. And in my heart, and I took the sun a lot. I was, I mean, I'm, I'm a sun fanatic. So I knew that in my heart that that's what it was. And so I kept going to the doctor. Eventually, she says, okay, let's take a big chunk of the ear off just to make sure. And they did. This time they sent it to a different lab. Who found it and said uh, it was at that point two and a half millimeters, which is rather big for an ear. <clears throat> and um, they panicked because uh, they knew I had had biopsies before. So they managed, and that's something I learned that's very important. Uh, anytime you do a biopsy, a sa the sample that's taken, even if it's sent to five different labs, remains in their fridge or whatever it is and is accessible um, to a hospital after for retesting. So what they did is that they took, uh, they, get, they got all the samples back from all the different labs that they had done the biopsies with and the one doctor um, the, the the microbiologist looked at it and he said in hindsight you can see the cancer it was always there but it was very sneaky and it's only because we know it's now there that we see it because it doesn't have the typical appearance um, I was very lucky because my cancer itched and uh, that's not something that usually happens. It's, it can happen, but it's not something that usually happens. And that's essentially what saved me. So ensued a lot of stress because um, right away they knew that it had been there for two and a half years. So they expected it to have metastasized. Uh, melanoma metastasizes to the brain, lungs, um, uh, liver and stomach, I think. So the first thing they ask is uh, that you do a scan to make sure that it's that you're clear, and a sonogram of the, the lymph nodes, right? So I, you know, of course I was panicked because she looks at me and she goes, "Do you want a cup of coffee?" Uh, I'm so sorry that that you know we told you there was nothing for over two and a half years and now we, we're telling you that there's something and that we need to act right away. Um, a great stroke of luck was that I was living in France at the time and that uh, the system is uh, rather quick for people in my uh, situation. So I was in the hospital the next morning um, and I uh, was being seen by a panel, uh, not just by one doctor because they all had to uh, be in agreement uh, on on the situation and the course of action in case of melanoma is always the same. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't about, you know, the, what they were going to ask me to do, but it was more about the type of cancer that they had found and why it behaved the way it did and understanding what those lesions were on my ear that kept coming back. Um, the next day after that, so it, there was a lull of about 72 hours between, um, me seeing the doctors and me getting in the scanner. That law was obviously very difficult, but it would have been much worse had I had to wait two weeks 
which is like the last scan I did, for example, where you really have time to think and wonder and what if, and I didn't have time for any of this. So I ended up uh, being cleared both by the scanner and by the sonogram. I was very lucky. And then they did um, uh, an exam where um, that consists of, um, well, first of all, they had to remove the ear, the upper part of the ear. Um, with safety. So basically when there's melanoma, they have to take out uh, two centimeters around the, the part that's sick uh, uh, for safety reasons. Um, and then they, uh, they did what they call the ganglion sentinelle. It's like a lymph node uh, test where they essentially inject a radioactive um, product like ink inside the ear. So in my case, it was the ear because, uh, or the rim of the ear, because that was the sick part. So they have to do that in the sick part. Wait for the liquid to uh, drip into the lymph node that it's linked to. And the next day when they take a piece of the ear and, and remove the, the piece of the ear that they need to remove, they also open the neck um, to find the inked lymph, lymph node and remove it in order to analyze it and make sure that there is no cancer cells in it because that's the first spot it would be. It's like a colander for the body. This is where um, it would park itself before it would metastasize in the body. Um, so then I got surgery and uh, they took the lymph node and they analyzed it and I got very lucky and it was clean. So uh, it was kind of a miracle all the way around. Some my my one of my doctor believes that it's because uh, the ear luckily has a lot of cartilage and it trapped it. It had nowhere to go easily. Other believes it's just uh, luck. <laughs> um, so there's my story. So how did you feel when you? What were you thinking when you found out that it was cancer? I wasn't thinking. Like that's the thing. I think that's what saved me all around. Is that I'm not I'm not a thinker, so I um, I'm very pragmatic, and I think that's really what helped here. Um, I was just looking for the next step. Um, the first things out of the first words out of my mouth were, "I knew it, but that can't be." I have a five year old, and I haven't yet learned to play guitar as well as I wanted to. Um, it, it was just very, very practical. And then I wanted a cigarette. I hadn't, I hadn't smoked in 10 years and <laughs> I, I started smoking again. So the, 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 you know, ironic, it's, it's kind of ironic that I started smoking again after a cancer diagnosis. Um, but, uh, no, it was, I didn't think anything. I knew it. That's the first part. Like I, I knew it was no surprise to me. It was a surprise to them, but not to me. Me, I knew all along. I was just pissed that we wasted time. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, I hadn't, I, I, I hadn't, um, you know, my, my one of my closest friends, one of my very close friends died of cancer three years before this. And she had uh, tongue cancer. And she mm -hmm. told me one thing that was uh, very, that stuck with me. She said, if you know something's wrong, you got to go back and tell them. She had four or five biopsies and they found nothing. And by the time they found her cancer, it was too late. 
but she knew it was there the whole time. And every time I went back to the doctor, I mean, I was honestly, I was scratching my ear off and it was bleeding and everything. And I had no choice but to go back. But I also knew that there was something there. Like I was just mad that they weren't finding it. So if you ask me what I thought at that moment, I was like, okay, well, what, what the hell do I have to do? And, and what happens if, I, if it metastasized? My first anxiety after, after that was, am I going to lose my hair? Um, and that's what I said to her. I was like, I don't want to lose my hair, whatever mm. happens. And, you know, if you know me, you know, that's also what people associate me with. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's like, I've always had a very big head of hair. And I, I told her, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going there. She was like, well, you know, for melanoma, the treatment isn't chemo anyway. It's immunotherapy. And it's, uh, it's shots every day. The downside can be losing your hair, but it's a rare one. It was more depression. Um, so I'm glad I didn't get that either. But um, I think uh, there was no real shock. There was, there was more like, I was angry. It, it was not it was not really a shock it was more like I was angry that they took them it took them this long and I was afraid of course that uh, that that I had full-blown cancer mm -hmm. um, but it was quick enough that I just went through the motions um, and then I had got into an argument with the guy who was going to cut my ear off the, um, the surgeon because I felt that the doctors at the hospital while being attentive to my words, lacked social skills. Um, mm. And when they looked at my ear, there was five people around my head. And I was like, well, what are these lesions? What are those bumps? Well, we're going to take the ear off. Now, I understand you're going to take the ear off. But, you know, understand that my ear has been coming off in pieces. <laughs> three or four times for biopsies and they've always come back. So I just want to make sure that when you take half my ear off, that they won't come back. Do you know what they are? And no one could answer me. They were like, look, listen, stop worrying. We're going to just take it off and it'll be fine. And no one could answer. And then the plastic surgeon came in and was going to do the job. And he said, look, you know, it's just your ear. Plenty of people um, you don't have to worry. Plenty of people get their ear cut off. I'm like, it's not about you taking my ear. Honestly, I don't really, I don't care that you're taking my ear. Please take it. <laughs> if that's all that, it, that I need to be saved from this, I'm giving you my ear with pleasure. I just want to know that these, these lesions aren't about to come on my face or to eat up more of me once you take this piece of me. And if you can't tell me what they are, this is what I'm afraid of. And I had to raise my voice and stand up from my chair to actually get an answer. And the doctor looked at me and said, well, I mean, when we're going to take off your ear, we're going to analyze everything that's on it. So we'll know what it is. And I said, okay, was that so hard to, to explain? And she said, no, but it's obvious. And I said, no, it's obvious to you, not to me. Me, I'm in shock. I'm being told two days ago that I have cancer and then my ear is going to be taken out. I'm not being told that you're going to analyze everything it's made of. I, I'm, I'm being told you're going to look for cancer. 
not to, you know, the, not that you're going to analyze the actual visual clues. And she said that she was sorry, I didn't understand that this was the obvious thing. So, you know, oftentimes they think that the patient is in their head, mm -hmm. processes things the same way that they do. Um, and it had nothing to do with looks, you know, and they, they, they always thought that that's what I was referring to, but it was more that they didn't understand the past of the situation. And, and the fact that this this signal kept coming back and what is this signal so anyway then i went through with the surgery it was uh, and i've had many many surgeries this was extremely extremely painful uh and that's what got me smoking again because the pain was just too intense and pain management was just not enough i didn't sleep for days um it was extremely painful and uh then a couple months later, a little bump came back <laughs> and uh, everybody freaked out because they were like, oh my God, that's it. It's back. So they took out another trunk of my ear in, uh, in the middle of confinement. They had a surgeon, surgeon's office open up next to my house so I could go and take out yet another trunk. He took a big trunk. Turns out it, they think it was just scar tissue. Um, so for now, I've been the, the follow up of this story is that I have to get a sonogram of the lymph nodes every three months and go and see the doctor every three months. And uh, a couple months ago, uh, no, last month, I did a, a full up scan again. But I have to do the sonograms for the next five years every three months uh and have uh and i had to have my uh whole family checked as well i also did the uh, genetic testing which is now available which is good if you have kids uh because they can isolate try to isolate their gene because mel melanoma is genetic um so yeah it's it's caused it might be revealed by the sun or by stress or you know many things but it's also it's mostly passed on and um, thanks to this uh, genetic uh, test, uh, we'll be able to see if it's present in my child. Um, but it takes two years to get the results because of the time that uh, the test has to sit and re be retested several times, et cetera. But anyway, it's very important to do it and it can only be done during the surgery. So it's important to know. It can be done during the surgery or the day after. Um, so, so there's my story. Thank you. And how are you? How are you now? Fine. I mean, I'm uh, paranoid, you know, because uh, they're asking that I be vigilant. She said what you call paranoia, we call being vigilant because it's the type of cancer that's ex extremely aggressive. Mm. And um, we have, if we don't get it, it gets you. So you have to really be on the lookout for any change in your skin anywhere in the body. It could look like anything. Um, it's not necessarily a mole, you know, and they check everything. They check my hair, they check all my cavities, they check everything. Um, and I have to check myself. So of course I'm a little bit paranoid. Every time I see something new, a new freckle, or I have to note it down and at my next appointment, um, you know, it's like going through customs. <laughs> 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 so, 
that's pretty much it. And, you know, I have my husband take pictures of the suspicious patches. Um, but it is what it is. It's just, uh, it's something that you live with. Um, it's something that you live with. It, it, but I was very, very lucky. I didn't have to have treatment. I didn't suffer for months on end. I didn't, I, you know, I lost a piece of me, but please, what piece? It's, you know, the, the only downside is not being able to put a mask on. <laughs> so, you know, I can't really go to work because I can't wear a mask. It's great. I use it as an excuse all the time. Um, no, but seriously, I, I just, uh, you know, it's, it's a tiny piece that I lost. It could have been my nose. It could have been my lip. It could have been mm-hmm. any other part that I've had biopsied before. But I was lucky. It was my ear, you know. And I have very long hair to cover it. But it's not that ugly. Can you um, name uh, one thing that you gained from all this? Not really. Um, you know, I, I, I thought about it. I think, you know, I'm the kind of person who always felt like I was going to live my life the way I wanted to and I uh, wasn't really going to go by everybody else's priorities if I didn't feel that that was more important in my life. I already had that trait sort of thing. I guess it got reinforced of like, you know, I guess you could call it resetting priorities, but it's not really resetting. It's just furthering what already was sort of the way I lived my life. Um It got me to withdraw a lot, I think. It's just uh, not because I don't want people to see me like this or anything. It's it's more, uh, I think there's more things that I want to do in in terms of me by myself. Um, You know, I I draw a lot. I do a lot of writing. I do, I I have many hobbies and most of them involve just me. But now I'm actually taking the time to to do them. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it taught me that time, you know, I, but I knew that, 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 you know, you have to take advantage of every minute. And, and that I knew. And like I said, like, my friend dying a few years ago, 39 and leaving four kids behind really like, you know, it hit me hard. So um I don't, I can't say that I've actually gained much except to trust yourself, maybe to trust yourself. If you have an instinct, like my friend Sarah said, if you know in your, in, in your gut that something is wrong and you, you, you sense what it is, then you, you have to keep going back to however many doctors it takes to be sure and certain. Because I think your gut is more valuable than any scientific test when they don't know where to look. Okay, would that be the one piece of advice you want to give people who are in a similar situation? No, actually, the one piece of advice I would give besides this one Mm -hmm. is don't think. Do not think of the ifs and what and what if. I know it's hard, but there is no point in suffering twice. Because, you know, the day you are in the scanner, you're going to th- have those thoughts already. So there's no point in having them beforehand. Beforehand, try to be practical, I think. Try to be as, as one foot in front of the other as you can. 
and not think and stay busy and 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 focus on anything but that focus on your kids focus on the cooking on drawing on whatever it is until you do every test as you're told to do it but without thinking too much of the of the various scenarios because honestly there's just too many anyways okay um and what would you say was the main quality or value or skill that helped you get through the situation my being pragmatic <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it was really that it's, it's it was uh tell me what i have to do and i'm just gonna do it like stop talking let's just get on it like i, I don't have time for this i don't have time to die like it was really that it was really uh it, that, at no point did I think I was going to die. At no point. And actually, to be perfectly honest, they sent me to a, a shrink. I mean, they suggested that I see a shrink a few months later because it's protocol. And I didn't actually realize I had cancer until much later mm-hmm. because I was so busy doing all the tests and doing all the things and that I needed to get done and noting all my appointments and everything <clears throat> the shrink said you had cancer I said no I had I had melanoma on my ear they removed my ear I never had chemo she said right okay well, plenty of people don't have chemo and have cancer you had cancer I said no I did and I fought it uh until she made me realize that uh, I did and so did the doctor and strangely at the dinner table uh during that period, during that time, um, my brother, like my, my dad said something and, and then I said, well, I can't because of my ear. And he said, what do you mean you can't? I said, well, I can't, I had cancer. And my brother was like, wow, cancer, you just got an ear removed. I think that, you know, I mean, I can't blame them for thinking that way. First of all, cancer is uncomfortable to most people. Not a not something they want to think of, especially if they're your parents or your siblings. Uh, they were extremely afraid that I was going to die much more than I was. Um, my brother woke up at five o'clock in the morning to take me to the hospital. I mean, he's they were they were really terrified. I wasn't at all realizing the situation, thanks to my pragmatism. They were very much worrying too much about it and seeing too far ahead. Yet when I was fine. You didn't have cancer. You just had your ear removed. So I went to the shrink after that a few times just um, so that I could uh, wrap my head around everything. And I think it really helped um, not to be victimized or anything, not to see myself as a victim, but to acknowledge uh, the fact that this is uh, an ongoing condition that... uh, I may be free of right now, but that may come back. Um, and that um, I don't, uh, and, there's, and, and that's all. It's just needs, you know, you just need to be cognizant of it. Cognizant of it, sorry. The reason why um, I ended up also going to see a shrink and talking to someone is because I felt extreme fatigue for months after, uh, to the point where I would literally faint at 
in the middle of the afternoon of tiredness. They ran every possible test and couldn't find anything <clears throat> that would indicate that anything else was wrong. Um, it turns out that um, any form of cancer, mostly the diagnosis, especially as abrupt as this one was, um, can lead to some sort of subconscious shock um, that exacerbates the fatigue of the body. There's a term for it. I forgot the term, but essentially it's all the, it's the physical combined with the mental shock that culminates into an incredible fatigue that you can feel for months on end. Um, and for about a year after what happened, I had to take naps every day. I literally, I would fall asleep for no reason. Um, and you have to, you have to go through it. Basically, you have to let your body and your mind heal and, and sleep and, and, and really allow your body to go through the recovery, um, and your mind to go through the recovery with that sleep. Yeah. Uh, so this is a very important part because something it's something the doctors don't tell you. The, the, the mental aspect doesn't impact them at all. It's not something that they discuss with you. Uh, and at least mine didn't because it was all very practical. Um, but it's important to know that, to know that the, the sleep and the fatigue is, is normal and that it can last for many, many months afterwards. Okay. Yes. I, I, I've, I've experienced the same. It takes time to heal fully. Yeah. And for the shock to be absorbed, it's, it's, it's everything. Um, and to this day, I mean, it's been a year. I'm still not perfectly over that. I mean, I still sleep during the day. I was, I had very understanding bosses who told me not to come back to the office. So I haven't been in the office for about a year now, but, um, you know, it's it's important to take that time because it it, it really helps. Great. Well, that's a very good piece of advice. Thank you again very much for sharing your story. Um, I like, Surely, I like your advice at the end, um, and I wish you all the best. Keep Thank being you. pragmatic. And you as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, you know, keeping a sense of humor. And it's okay if you start smoking again. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. Merci. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye. I think you'll all join me in thanking Joanna again for telling us her story. Now, here are a couple of takeaways from this conversation. First, I find it absolutely amazing how quickly when we're facing an illness such as this, we, all of us, become familiar with the medical terminology, the functioning of hospitals and medical systems and navigating care plans and treatment proposals. You'll see this in other conversations as well, I think, the speed at which we can all, all of a sudden, hold conversations about tumor grades and DNA testing and all that is absolutely incredible. I know that in my family, uh, knowledge and science were the things that we turned to every time something new arose. It's very reassuring to fill your head with rational and logical information, because of course, coping with this disease is nothing but rational or logical. 
um, it's a very delicate balance to maintain, in fact, to store all of the knowledge possible on this disease while also not thinking of the ifs and what ifs, like Joanna mentioned. Another key point that I noted during this conversation is that after the illness or the emergency of care is passed, and once all that reassuring body of knowledge is no longer immediately needed, many of us start feeling a very deep aftershock. We're distraught, maybe disempowered, uh, we don't really know what to do with our life, and that's an area where the medical system can't really help. Um, I find it really amazing that so many people who get through this disease manage to do it with such grace and humor. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode. If you have any questions or if you want to leave some comments, um, please feel free. You can contact me via email and the address is bouncingforward at solarcoaching.ca. Or you can leave a voice message on the uh, anchor.fm slash solar coaching page. Or you can go directly to the Facebook page, Solar Coaching. And in the meantime, I wish you all to have a very great day wherever you are. <laughs>